in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. And the first thing I have to do is apologize because my voice sounds ridiculous. But to compensate for that, I have the wonderful Greg Orm with me on this episode. This is the human edge because Greg is the author of the business book of the year 2020, also called The Human Edge. And Greg, it's a huge welcome to you from The Leadership Enigma. Well, I'm really glad to be here, Adam, and I'm slightly intimidated by your gravelly voice. It'll make my voice, which is naturally quite high, uh, just it look even more silly. But, you know, go ahead. You, you, I mean, wow. Great voice. Well, excellent. If that's intimidating for you, that's absolutely fine. Because what <laughs> listeners might not know is uh, my book, The Leader's Secret Code, was shortlisted. But we have now the winner, the winner of the 2020 Business Book of the Year Award. Greg, for the human age. So I say congratulations to you, but we need to find out all about it because this is an important subject. But before we get there, I'd like you just to tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing at the moment, because I know you're working with large organizations all over the world, but you tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, sure, sure, Adam. Uh, yeah, well, like everybody else, my life has completely been turned upside down since March. Uh, and what I used to do was uh, my specialism is uh, helping leaders with learning interventions around leadership, particularly when they want to make their teams more creative and innovative. And I used to fly around the world doing that uh, all over the place. Of course, that has stopped, but I'm still doing it. And what's been amazing is in six months, I haven't done anything face to face, but I've been doing many, many, many uh, virtual webinars and interventions along the same line. So I still do the same work, uh, but it's different. And of course, that balances with my writing as a business author uh, and one feeds the other. So you've still had to be creative like all of us because we've had to carry on doing what we do, but we just haven't been able to get to anybody to have that face-to-face, that human proximity, which we crave in some way as educators around the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the the real irony is I've spent and made a good living for 15 years or so talking about how leaders and organizations need to respond to disruption and then I was disrupted and it didn't feel very good (laughs) and I've had to respond to it along with my business school colleagues we've had to change and and deliver everything virtually pretty much a lot of business school is now going back to a hybrid model but that's after six months and and that might change with the, the changing policy but it means everybody has to be more creative and experimental which is one of the themes of my book so tell us, give us an overview of the human age, because I'm fascinated by this, because it really is all about humans. You know, the future is all about people. So just give us an overview or the essence of the human age, if you would. Sure. Well, like a lot of these business books, the, 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 the sort of summary is in the, in the subtitle. So it's how curiosity and creativity are your superpowers in the digital economy, and particularly in that. So about five years ago, I got really interested in technology and how it was impacting leadership and organizations. So 
uh, I was actually giving some speeches around that, uh, about, about that time uh, at London Business School, as it happens, at an alumni event. And a pretty senior female executive came up to me and said, listen, I'm, kind of, I'm interested in how it affects organizations, but what about me? And what about my daughters? What are the capabilities and skills that we need to survive and thrive in, in a world of AI, the, you know, the machine age? And so I didn't have a very good answer at the time. And that resulted in me going out and thinking about that question and researching it and talking to people, which, which, which came up with the human edge. And the human edge, just to give you a brief overview, Adam, is that what I think of as the superpowers that differentiate you from AI and machines, but also would argue would allow you to respond to any disruption, not just technological, uh, with curiosity, with creativity. And the four C's are consciousness, curiosity, creativity, and collaboration. Well, that's great, and we're gonna come back to those four C's. The first thing is I do hope you gave that lady a copy of your book once it was out, considering it sounds like she was the catalyst for you exploring that question. Oh, wow, now I feel really bad now. I haven't done that. And you know, I don't even know who it was, because you know what it's like, you're given these things and you have these nice moments with a cup of coffee in your hand afterwards. And uh, I haven't, but I, well, if you're out there, well, they, they <laughs> thank, to track thank you, because you've resulted in me uh, writing this book and getting this award. And, 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 and Adam, by the way, thank you. There's no edge in this conversation, despite the fact that, you know, I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. So what, what this is now is now we're trying to track and trace that lady who was the inspiration behind your book. But we'll come back to that. So tell me a little bit more, because obviously people are nervous or I hear a nervousness in relation to technology, AI, automation. But what's the reality of that threat or that opportunity? Well, you know, look, spoiler alert, I, I'm, a, I, I, I'm not giving a big apocalyptic take on this in the book. Um, it actually came from that. And I still think it's around to some extent. And it is true that, you know, AI is coming for white collar jobs for the first time. You know, if you think about it in the fourth industrial revolution, machines replaced our arms and legs in the production process. And AI to a certain extent is now coming for cognitive jobs, for knowledge worker jobs. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, the point I make is that, you know, if a job is, if your job is so repetitious and routine, algorithmic, as computer scientists would say, that you can write down every keystroke of how you do it uh, and how, uh, more importantly, how millions of other people do it, because that's how machine learning works, yeah. then your job will be automated in the next five years. That is true. But actually, that's a small proportion of jobs still. And for the rest of us with more complicated, complex jobs, what will actually happen is the routine task within that job will be cheese sliced away, which leaves a space for us. And, and the big paradox, you know, Adam, is that um, as we get more machines in the workplace, we will be required to be more human, which is what the book is all about. All about the human. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a really interesting thing. There's a mathematician called Moravec who came up with an idea called Moravec's paradox, which the book relies on in the first part, which is the idea is if the, the, um, the foothills and the valleys of human abilities are filling up with, with machine 
capability. So, you know, first went things like basic arithmetic. You know, we've been doing that on computers for a long time with computers. Uh, and, the, and the waters are rising. So where you need to retreat to is the mountaintops. And on the mountaintops, that's where we're naturally good. And the paradox within Moravec's paradox is where computers and AI are naturally good, we're not very good. It's really hard for us to do mental arithmetic, even great mathematicians. Where we're really good, computers really struggle. And that's intuition, that's creativity, that's spontaneity, that's passion, that's love, that's fun. Computers don't do that very well, and we do. That's room for both of us. Perhaps they yeah more than that you know you know why 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 enter a battle with something that is going to be better than you you should never do that you should differentiate yourself and that's my big advice in the book differentiate yourself from machines not just because it's economically sensible do it because it leads to a better and more fulfilling uh, life because you love your job more then now greg i've got to ask a question because i've got a couple of teenagers and i'm as guilty as them on this because you talk about tech and smartphones have changed behaviors so tell me a little bit of, about what you've, what you've seen in your research about how our behaviours have changed with the yeah. overuse potentially of, of smartphones and technology. Uh, well, I, I, I touch upon this in, in the book that, you know, it's my belief, certainly after doing the research, that our relationship with machinery or AI or whatever you want to call it is going to be one of the big stories of our lifetimes and of our, of our children's lifetimes. And... You know, when you start a book, you don't realize what, what's actually going to be in, in it a lot of time. You are literally answering a question. So the four C's that I mentioned, Adam, each one of them has a what I call a dance step because you can put it in any order. You know, like you can put dance steps in order. So they're not necessarily linear. One of those right at the start underneath consciousness is what I call focus. And I think what you're getting at with your t- referencing your, your teenagers, because I've got two teenagers as well. Oh, you can really- have mine as well. Yeah, <laughs> you've got two. Two more is going to be fine. Yeah. No, no, you're all good, Adam. You keep your teenagers, and I'll keep mine. Uh, but the <laughs> losing my thread here. Talk about focus. That's interesting. Sorry. But the, 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 the point is, um, you know, we're all, including our children, facing the greatest hijack of our attention in human history, and that's thank thanks to these AI-enabled apps. Some of them are social media on these smartphones that we carry around. And the reason that it made it into my book is I realized if you are being distracted all the time, then you don't have time for these higher order thinking processes such as curiosity and creativity. So that's one of the first hygiene factors is to find space in a distracted world. And I give some advice about that. But, you know, what's interesting, even since I finished the book, uh, there's a fantastic documentary that's out on Netflix now called Social Dilemma which I highly recommend to everyone. I'd actually quoted quite a few of the people who talk in that. And these are the people who built Facebook, who built Twitter. And by the way, they're advising I've heard us. about this. Oh, you oh, said it's a bit scary, Greg. It's really scary. And I, and I take it up to about eight out of 10 scary. This is, takes it to 10 out of 10 scary. And wow. this is the, the engineers that built these, the, the, like, uh, the like button, for example, the never ending scroll on Twitter. Yep. Right. These are the people who are advising us to keep ourselves and our children away from these things because they are and have been designed to be addictive. 
this is the dopamine hit, isn't it? And I talk about dopamine, talk about neuroscience a lot in the book. I think, again, one of the big stories of our lifetime that we can now see what's happening to our brains. We couldn't do that 10 years ago. And so dopamine has got a light side and a dark side. I talk about both. The light side, Adam, is that if you can do things in your life and curiosity and creativity are two of them, you can give yourself the legal cousin to cocaine, dopamine. And that makes you want to get up in the morning and do things. And that is lacking in so many organizations. I know with your work, you'll have seen that. The dark side is dopamine is also associated with every single kind of addiction, uh, social media addiction just being one of them. And so this thing, dopamine effectively gives you a pleasure hit in anticipation of getting something and also when you've got it. So it's self-fulfilling. And this is why we find people getting very addicted to social media because those, those pseudo dings of pleasure that you get when you see your likes are designed to get you coming back for more. And it worries me on a serious note for your teenagers and for my teenagers that they are fully dipped in this by the way you know they, they never knew a world without it and i just wonder how that's going to turn out for them uh, you know it, it does worry me a bit and i think you need to take action to manage that relationship well as soon as we can get on a plane i think we're all going to go to an island for some time and just try and uh, <laughs> mitigate the consequences and i mean i think where we are adam and this is a bit of a grand claim but you know it's, we're amongst friends here, but you know, I think we might be at the same position with social media as people were in the early 1970s with tobacco. We're kind of seeing the impact it's having on our minds and our bodies, just like they did then. Mm. The evidence is coming out. Now, you know, maybe that's a bit alarming. Maybe I'm pushing that a bit too far, but I genuinely believe, and the evidence is there, that you know, this isn't great for our psychological health if we're not careful about it. I'm with you, Greg. I, I really am. And I know something else you touch upon in your book is that knowledge is not a scarcity, which is so true. You know, when we think about our kids again, they have access to anything, really. They just have to go onto the internet, type in a question, and, and, and the answer comes. And it's immediate. So there's this immediacy to it as well. So we need different skills, don't we? And, and that's why you talk about uh, the superpowers and the four C's. Now, just make sure I've got these right. Curiosity, creativity, consciousness, and collaboration. That's correct, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. So let's deal with the four C's because I agree with you. These are incredibly important. So take us through the four C's, Greg, and the application of those four C's to leaders and leadership. Sure. So I'll stay at the four, you know, the way the book's structured is there's the four C's level. That, so, you know, I always think it's handy to give people something that can remember. Underneath the four C's, there are two dance steps, so eight dance steps in all, and I'm obviously hanging off those, the, the theory, and also hopefully I'm giving people really practical things to do. But to go back to the top, if you like, yep. the consciousness, which is, uh, I'm gonna give you a, the linear way I write it, but as I say, I'm really careful to say you can do this in any order. Consciousness is about purpose, uh, and purpose we know releases that dopamine, that, 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 that legal cousin to cocaine. Uh, purpose has got lots of really amazing powers it can have. Understanding why, the, why you do what you do as well as the how and the what. So I talk about that. I also talk under consciousness about focus, which we've just discussed. Yep. Finding gaps to think and to learn in this busy and distracted world. That takes you on to curiosity. Curiosity is made up, the two dance steps are, how do you question 
the status quo? How do you question the world around you in a skillful way? And obviously, it's not actually per se a specifically a leadership book, but I like to put this book in the hands of leaders because they have more leverage. Yes. It's for anyone, really. But, you know, how do you question and inspire other people with questions and yourself? How do, and most importantly, how do you learn what I call every day rather than lifelong learning? How do you do it every day so you yeah. can check every day if you've learned something? Because that, you know, I think of learning and curiosity as the gateway drug. <laughs> I talk about drugs a lot. Don't there's, a lot of, there's a lot of that going on. on yeah, this episode, yeah. I, I, I'm a boy from the 90s. Uh, Adam, I'm, an, I'm, uh, I'm an ex-narcotics officer. There's something strange going on. Uh, well, this, I yeah, I didn't realize that. I should just watch my, watch my words. But, you know, I think of curiosity as the gateway drug to creativity. So if you learn something every day, that is the fuel, if you like, that is later recombined to create ideas. Gotcha. Under curiosity, I think about habits. How can you turn cre uh, creativity rather? How do you turn creativity into a daily habit? And then just to finish it off with collaboration. If you've gone to consciousness and found the time and motivation to be curious, and then you're questioning the word and, uh, world and learning every day, you're gathering the fuel, then you've got these habits of creativity, you're having ideas, then you actually need to be collaborative because you need a network of fellow humans to check which are your good ideas and which are your really bad ones. Yeah. And you also then need to experiment, which is a, a concept I, I uncover in the final chapter. So I'm going to ask anyone and everyone who's listening to actually go and get your book, because I think this is a fascinating subject matter. And it's an important one. You know, we do a lot of leadership training, Greg. And I know one of the things I say, it's, it's all about the people. And your book really focuses on the power of the person, the power of the individual. And as you say, these, these superpowers that in some ways, some people may see as mitigation for their concerns over technology and AI and automation and things of that nature. Yeah, and I, I really want to, I wanted a couple of things with the book. I wanted people to have, because I, you, you'll know, Adam, in your work, a lot of people have organizations that are suboptimal with this kind of stuff. And, and also bosses that, you know, quite frankly, some of them are quite toxic, you know. And so I wanted people to have like a, a hidden manual for themselves underneath their desk that even if their boss wasn't encouraging them to do this stuff, they can do it. Because, you know, I think with longer careers and more precarious positions, it's a good idea to look after your personal development. So, so that's, that's what I wanted for people. I wanted them to be able to rediscover what these superpowers are, because I think you're going to need them in the 2020s and beyond. I would agree. Craig, I want to ask you a question that was asked of me. I remember when we launched our book, now back in November, when we were actually all allowed to go outside and be in the same room, and someone asked me at the book launch, they said, Adam, with all of the research that went on and all of the writing that went on, which you've been through too few, but they said, what was your greatest learning? Or what was your biggest personal takeaway? So I want to ask you that in everything that you, you wrote about and all of the research that you did, what was your biggest takeaway? I think of the four C's um, as all connected. But, you know, a bit like the British Prime Minister is the first amongst equals in his cabinet. I think of creativity as the first amongst equals in, this, in these four capabilities. And I think creativity is one thing I constantly am asking executives, do you feel connected to your own personal creativity? And something like a third, only a third ever say yes. So there's 
two thirds of people in the business world, if you believe my, my surveys, and by the way, it is replicated in other surveys, that don't feel connected to that creativity that they had when they were a child. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is it gets knocked out of us at school. It gets knocked out of us in our organizations. So we lose this ability to recreate the world around us, to recreate ourselves through our own innate creative abilities. So the one thing I learned from this, and in a way I was expressing my own personal journey, because this has happened to me too, is it's really important to re-embrace your own creativity, to believe your creative first, that is one of the first steps, and then start following habits that allow you to do that. And creativity seems like such a long way off to so many people. It's such a big word. It's such an enigma. But actually, if you step back from that, the words that precede it, we can all do those, right? We can all learn. We can all question the world around us. We can all understand what our purpose is. We can all find time for this. We can all have passion. And actually, it's those things that you should focus on, not creativity. That is a byproduct of having those things. And that's I think that's my greatest personal learning. And, and that's what I would wish for everybody else too. It's so true, isn't it? If we ever ask a room full of senior leaders, who is creative? Very, very few will admit or even raise an arm in response to that question. But I suppose if we went to kindergarten and said, who's creative? You know, you've got a bunch of five and six-year-olds who have both got both hands up in the air in relation to. Yeah, and the, I normally have a follow-up question. After I've asked that question, I ask the second question, which is, do you think create, this is of the adults, by the way, do you, do, you, do you think creativity is important in disrupted business environments? And of course, you can guess what happens. There is a forest of arms, even amongst the adults. So you have this really weird tension that only a third of people feel that connected to their own personal creativity, but they're expecting it to happen somehow in order to, to drive innovation in their businesses. So my mission, on this planet is to try and close that gap and get more people raising their hands. Greg, I love this and we could carry on for ages. So I want to ask you, how do the listeners get hold of you? Where should they go to find out more about Greg, the book, the work that you're doing, or even just connect with you? Oh, well, I, I, I'd love that. I mean, some of my favorite moments are now hearing from people who I've never met before who pick the book up and tell me what, which bit they like. So if you'd like to do that or know about my more recent work and I'm, I'm constantly putting out videos and blogs, do go to my website, which is gregorm, G-R-E-G-O-R-M-E dot org, O-R-G. Uh, and I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So I'm an at gregorm on LinkedIn and uh, I love to connect with people. And to a certain extent on Twitter, although that's a bit of a strange place, and I'm at Gregory Orm uh, on Twitter. So I'd be delighted to connect with your your podcast listeners brilliant and obviously the challenge that you have is still to connect with that lady who asked that question yeah. who was the catalyst for the book hey lady if you're out there get in touch it's like it's, one of those 90s romance movies it, it is isn't it uh, sleepless <laughs> in philip whatever i can't remember what the film was <laughs> yeah anyway clip that bit out because yeah, obviously I'm oh the power <laughs> of the edit <laughs> let me ask you three questions so so we can get to a little bit more about you as well now, you know that um, I, I always do this. So one of the questions is, what's your favorite word? And obviously, as an yeah. author, you know, well, what's your response to that, Greg? Well, I, you know, I have a bit of an annoying response to that, Adam, which you, because uh, I thought about this question. And, uh, you know, it's a bit like 
as a writer, I really hate having favorite words because to me, you put them together to express where you are right now. So they're a bit like musical notes, which I realize now I said it sounds incredibly pretentious. So, okay, I'll give you my favorite, your word. favorite word right now. My favorite word right now is, uh, uh, I don't know, sourdough. <laughs> I love asking this question to authors because they're always a pain in the ass when it comes. Yeah, I know that was a real pain in the ass response. <laughs> but you know, it's how I feel. I'm a real foodie, which you can probably tell from my favorite word. And I'm, I'm the same when people ask me my favorite food, I get oh. very particular and say, Well, what's well, your favorite food then? Well, what, well, you said I don't like that question either, Adam, because what mood am I in? Well, it I could be curry, it could be Italian food, it could be pizza, it could be, you know. <laughs> But again, I'm being a pain. <laughs> oh, no, no, I love it. Honestly, we're going to do another podcast because we're just having way too much fun. We should. This is fun. Um, what's your favourite hobby or, or do you have a hobby at the moment? Because I know, you know, the last six months and lockdown, it's been a strange time for so many people. So it might be that you've actually uh, revisited uh, something or even taken up something new. I don't know. What, what would you say? Well, you know, I was, I was thinking about saying sourdough making because... Uh, before this, I was oh, going to turn off the oven. Now, but that's repetitive, right? So uh, I have loved that, which I know is a complete cliche during lockdown, but I have become the cliche sourdough baker. But, you know, my favourite, um, most durable thing I do is to get on my bike in the, the hills around where I live in Warwickshire and uh, just go out with friends and also on my own. And um, I mean, that kind of connects with the book as well, because not when I'm, when I'm going out with my friends, we just chat, which is great. But when I'm on my own, that's when, I have ideas. Uh, that's when I have the ideas for blogs and books because you need that time to, yeah. you know, that's when your subconscious kind of whispers to you and you hope you don't get knocked off at the same, bike oh, at the same time. No, no, please don't get knocked off for, yeah. for Lord's sake. Now, and I like that answer. I'm jealous because obviously I'm stuck in London and you're in the hills of Warwickshire. But that's fine. Again, I said to you, I'm not bitter. And what, let me ask you the third question is, what would be the best piece of advice that you would give a 21-year-old Greg? Wow, that's a really good question because you know how incredibly old I am now, Adam. So that's a long time ago. But I think, you know, I do, I, I try not to have regrets <clears throat> about my life. But um, I was actually a journalist uh, when I was 21 and I was okay. a journalist for about 10 years uh, on, on uh, national newspapers and with the BBC and ITV. So I was writing, but I wasn't writing my own stuff. I was just, uh, and I did go through a period when I didn't read as much as I do now as well. So my advice to Greg is, what are you doing? Make sure you're reading a book every two weeks. Make sure you're making a lot of notes on what you see in the world around you and write every day, Greg. I wish you'd done that because I'd be, I'd be 10 books in now rather than two books in. So is that the advice you're giving your teenagers now or preparing uh, to give your teenagers? Uh, well, I th to be honest, that's a bit specific to a writer. So I wouldn't want to, you know, I think writers need to, you know, what's a writer? It's someone who writes nearly every day. That's right. my, my definition of it. My okay. other definition is, is a writer is someone who finds writing quite difficult. Uh, uh, but to them, I'd say, what is it that really turns you on? You know, what, what do you really love doing? Make sure, even if it's a challenge, you're doing it every day because it's that everyday experience that really leads to kind of mastery and, and, and just a mass of material. That's what you need. You need a mass of material to find the little nuggets. Otherwise you never get there. 
So follow your passion. That's what I'm hearing as well. Yeah, and just do it every day because, you know, if one thing we know about the creative superstars is they are, when you study people who are creative superstars in any domain, they don't have uh, better ideas than us every single idea. What they have is more ideas and they allow themselves to have a much greater and larger portfolio of ideas. And so the rest of us are really hard on ourselves because we have like a tenth of the amount of the ideas and we expect those to work. Don't do that. Have more ideas and then you can kill more of them and then you'll find better ones. And that's what I'm saying really is, is work every day at what you love and then you'll find in the rough these little gems. Well, I'm hoping to have a really good idea at some point in my life as well. So <laughs> hang on to that. <laughs> Greg, listen, it has been brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy calendar to come and chat to me on the Leadership Enigma. Really. I have loved this conversation, Adam. We're going to do it again. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Who knows where that will go? Thank you. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.